So after five golden years, Lorne decided to leave. And so did those close to him, including me, Al Frank. So NBC had to pick a new producer. Now, most knowledgeable people, as you might imagine, hoped it would be me, Al Frank. But instead, without consulting the show's staff or cast, NBC picked Gene Demanian, an associate producer on the show. Now, I don't want to be cruel to Gene, because it might make you think less of me, Al Frank. Anyway, it took NBC 12 shows to figure out their horrendous mistake, and a month ago, they fired Gene. Okay, now, who do they pick to rectify the original error? Someone who knows what he's doing? Someone like me, Al Franken? No, they pick Dick Ebersol. Now, I know Dick because he was a network executive in charge of late night programming when Saturday night started, and as such, was the first person to steal credit for the success of Saturday night. <laughs> credit which should rightfully go to Lorne Michaels and me, Al Franken. <laughs> Now, let me give you some background on Dick, Mr. Humor Ebersol. His credits include The Waverly Wonders, starring Joe Namath, Roller Girls, and a show called Joe and Valerie about a kid from Brooklyn who dances every night at a disco. Now, to this day, Dick claims that he never saw Saturday Night Fever and that it was all an amazing coincidence. Anyway, I know Dick and I can tell you that he doesn't know Dick. <laughs> An anthology about the bad, the short-lived, and the forgotten shows and events in television history. This is It Was a Thing on TV. Punisher! Control! Hey, before I change my mind! I give you Super Train! Episode 405, submission number 357, The Waverly Wonders. The Waverly Wonders ran on NBC from September 7th to October 6th, 1978, for nine episodes, an astonishing six of which went unaired. Now hold on a second. Nine episodes. That's seven less than the number of episodes of the Hudson Brothers Razzle Dazzle Show, Uncle Croc's Block, J.J. Starbuck, and the number of aired episodes of Salvage One. And the number of aired episodes of Schooled. Maybe uh, in the next week or so, I should go through all the previous episodes and see how many shows had exactly 16 episodes. That seems to be the sweet spot. You know, sweet 16. Well, oh, that's clever. No, I was looking at it from the aspect of let's make this intro to all our shows like seven minutes long as Mike rattles off every show in the history of television that had 16 episodes. Now, Chica, what year did this air? 1978. This is, by my count, the 14th show we've covered from 1978. Holy. Yeah. So do you want to know what some of the others were? Flying High Def. Carter Country would have been 78. Um, or at least it ran in 78. Maybe it started in 77. No, Carter Country aired in 77. 
Well, it debuted in 77. It definitely aired in 78. Yeah. But I mean, starting in 78. Right. Okay. Right. I want to say Blansky's Beauties was on that list. No, it's not. Oh, dang it. Okay. Uh, Tic Tac Doe, the uh, CBS version, was definitely 78. I don't have that listed on there. Well, we talked about all the, the Tic Tac Doe versions that weren't, uh, well, necessarily hosted by Wink, but we did refer to that. Yeah, but it doesn't really count towards the subject, so I didn't include it on the uh, list of shows we've covered. The 1978 Science Fiction Film Awards. I'm a rocket man. Japanese Spider-Man. Spider-Man. The Star Wars Holiday Special. Oh, of course. Jason of Star Command. Jeopardy 78. Superdome. And now, the theme music based on what we could call from the internet. Greg, I figured you'd be looking forward to uh, part two of our three-part Back to School 2023 special because we get to talk about one of your favorite players of all time. Number 12 for the New York J-E-T-S Jets, Jets, Jets. Broadway Joe Namath. First off, my favorite Jets player of all time is Curtis Morton. Thank you very much. Now, Broadway Joe Namath, he was the guy that led the famous guarantee in Super Bowl three against Baltimore. And you all know what happened. One finger in the air, everything. And also in the Super Bowl three highlight film, Steve Sable putting footage of a meaningless Johnny Unitas garbage time drive to make sure that the Colts were mounting a big comeback when the game was already over. I was still upset that the AFL won. You see, I had been a Colts fan all my life, and in my version of the game, I played a little fast and loose with the facts. All the hopes and dreams of an entire season rested on the shoulders of one man, one old pro. One last moment for the master. I took a meaningless fourth quarter Colt drive and then I cut it as if it were this heroic charge by Johnny Unitas who was giving that upstart Joe Namath a lesson in quarterback. Well, in reality, New York had the game locked up by then, but I just couldn't bring myself to giving the Jets the big finale that their upset really deserved. So even though this apology is a little late in coming, I want to say to the Jets, I blew it. I'm sorry. I was an NFL guy, and I just didn't make an accurate and objective film. So there. And you know something? That could have been the end of his legendary career. But it wasn't. And fun fact, not many people know this. Joe Namath did not end his career in New York. He ended his career with the Los Angeles Rams, who became the St. Louis Rams, who turned back into the Los Angeles Rams. Now, do you remember who replaced Joe Namath as QB of the Jets? No, sir, I do not. Mike, do you know? Oh, gosh, I couldn't even give you a guess. Richard Todd. Who'd that guy be? 
Of course you wouldn't know who Richard Todd was, Chica. He was like probably from like after he retired to like 83, 84 when Ken O'Brien took over. But funny enough, Richard Todd also went to the University of Alabama. From Namath to Todd, like from like the mid 60s to like the mid 80s, they had two quarterbacks from Alabama. Weird. We figure, or at least Joe Namath figures, while he's, you know, living his best life, the pride and joy of Beaver Falls, Pennsylvania, fresh off of his Super Bowl champion career, and not at all falling off the face of the earth, why doesn't he just stick around Los Angeles and see what opportunities pop up? Well, opportunities, there were many. We're talking about a legendary, seminal episode of The Brady Bunch. We're talking about two appearances on Rowan and Martin's Lappin, and a movie career that included such films as The Last Rebel and CC and Company. He was actually a lead role in CC and Company. Now, let's also remember Joe Namath was apparently up for the hosting role on Family Feud in 1988. When he was done with football, the world was literally his oyster. So what is going to be the big thing that will begin Joe Namath's next chapter? You would think it would be sitting beside Dick Enberg, going over the great games to be played that afternoon. You would think this. But no, that job was probably occupied by Farver Murphy. Did I mention the Avalanche Express? Because that's the one that put Joe Namath out there post-career. But before Avalanche Express, he had to stop off at a fictional high school in Eastville, Wisconsin. A fictional high school called Waverly High School. And what would he be doing at Waverly High School? Coaching football? You would think that. But no. He would be a history teacher and a basketball coach? What? Not with his knees. <laughs> it gets better. The team he is coaching has four players. Remember, a basketball team is five players with a second line on the bench and then a third line for garbage time. But they only had four players and one of them was a girl. <gasps> oh? She's a witch! To review, Joe Namath is a history teacher and a basketball coach of a four-person basketball team, and one of the persons is a lady. And this was before Hang Time on NBC. Oh, great, we get an excuse to mention Reggie Theus again. Hey, did you know he was on Just Men in 1983? You know who else was on Just Men in 1983? 
the man who committed so many unsolved murders in New York City, who I now have his autograph of. Are we talking about Steve Sachs? Yes, we are. Uh, That's a good thing he got out of Springfield, isn't it? That in and of itself is the joke and the gist of the series. And if it sounds like a clone of Welcome Back, Cotter, it is because it is indeed a clone of Welcome Back, Cotter. Oh. Now, from what I understand, per the extent of our research, Joe Namath was actually a decent actor. And if you put a decent actor in a decent role, surround himself with decent people and decent production and decent scripts, you're going to get a decent show. But come on, this is NBC in 1978. Three shows returning from the previous season. They're in third place, and they have to get to at least second place? So they're like, okay, what is the most popular sitcom on television in 1978? What if the smartest people in the room said, welcome back, Cotter? So NBC said, you know what? Let's clone Welcome Back, Cotter. People will watch it. Joe Namath plays Joe Casey, a washed-up professional basketball player who now teaches history at Waverly High School in Eastville, Wisconsin, while coaching the basketball team, the Waverly Torpedoes, a.k.a. the Waverly Wonders. The Waverly Torpedoes. That sounds like something Scotty would say. Fire the Waverly Torpedoes! And if his team didn't have much going for it, neither did Joe. Because Joe don't know much about history, don't know much about teaching, don't know much about anything except basketball. In fact, the only decent person on the lot was Connie. And she was a girl. But together, they may just win more than one game this season, and Joe may just learn a little bit more about history and himself. Of course, he's going to have to ask for the help of the Italian stallion, Tony Faguzzi. Hey, I'm Tony Faguzzi. Where's some good pizza in Wisconsin? Nerdy athlete John Tate, Freddy Boom Boom Washington clone Hasty Parks, and of course, the only decent player on the entire team, Connie Rafkin. Rounding out the crew of Waverly High is fellow teacher, man by the name of George Benton, and the school principal and potential love interest, Linda Harris. So let's talk about the cast, shall we? We obviously have Joe Casey, played by Joe Namath, originally written as a man named Harry Casey for Larry Hagman, believe it or not. wonder whatever happened to him in 78. Well, he got launched into space and landed in Texas somewhere, I'm guessing. He didn't go to space in 78. No, but he did go to space in his career. Playing John Tate 
is Charles Bloom. He was a that guy from That Thing, having logged in one after-school special, one episode of Eight is Enough, one episode of Battlestar Galactica, and one episode of Mork and Mindy. Among other things, including the misadventures of Sheriff Lobo. I miss Sheriff Lobo. Who doesn't? Playing the Italian stallion Tony Faguzzi, Joshua Grenrock, who you would probably remember as Porter in an episode of Firefly, among other things. I just think, wow, the Italian stallion and who the name of it was played by. That's like, does not sound like Italian stallion. He was also in... I'm sorry. Time out. Time out. Kiesel interrupted. I think she might have reacted too when she heard Italian Stallion in the name Joshua. Joshua Grenrock. Yeah, that's his name. This sounds like a fake character in the Flintstones. It does. And this was actually his first role. From then he springboards into Eight is Enough, Cagney and Lacey. Nightmares, if you remember that far back. I don't... Yeah, that's a springboard, all right. Jeez. But he was on an episode of Monk, Greg. Oh! Now, guys, as we found out 105 episodes ago, I mentioned for the first time ever that I loved Wings, and it made Tony Shalhoub's career. Yeah, I seem to forget that. That warms the cockles of my heart. It's been a long time since we had reference to Tony Salub and Wings. And then playing Hasty Parks, we have Tier Turner, who graduated from Waverly High and landed a career as a stuntman in such films as 2014's Godzilla, Super 8, Volcano, and 2009's Star Trek. Oh, yes. Because as we all like to mention, the 2009 Star Trek had Robert Pine's kid. And also a guy who likes to slap people. But it seems like his longest stretch as an actor was 13 episodes of The Cop and the Kid in 1975. What the hell is that? I don't know. Was it a biography about Wander Franco? Oh, he was in The Cop. Oh, God, no! Hey, we have the timely jokes. We did the twoies last week. Now we're doing Wander Franco. Let's keep the hits going, guys. And then we have, as Connie Rafkin, a young Kim Langford. You remember her best as Ginger Ward on four seasons of Not Landing. Ginger Ward, I just said. Ginger Ward. It was from nineteen seventy. It was that was before it got really good. Hold on, I didn't know that Kiesel was such an expert on Knott's Landing. <laughs> Wait, Greg says he didn't know that you were an expert on Knott's Landing. I'm pretty good on Knott's Landing. Do you remember when Alec Baldwin was on Knott's Landing? The only one that I don't know jack about was Talking Grass. Hold on. Hold on. 
Did you know that Simon McCorkendale was on Falcon Crest, Kisla? She did not know anything about Falcon Crest. She doesn't know Jack Poopy nothing. She now didn't did, know Simon did, McCorkendale was on Falcon Crest. I did know that. Oh, she did know that. Okay. Oh, now, Kiesel, Kiesel, do you, Kiesel, I got to ask you something. Hold on. Greg is asking you something, Keith. I want her to come in. Hold on a second. All right, Keith. Keith. Okay. She's, she can't get up. What's the question? What's the question? Kiesla, I want you to come here quick. She can't get up. She can't get up. She's resting. Okay. okay. Would you want to own this picture right here of Simon McCorkendale holding the Falcon? Okay. I'm showing her the sainted photo of Simon McCorkendale and the Falcon. Do you want Would you want I Would you? Simon was on Falcon Crest. No, this is Simon McCorkendale as Manimal. Oh, I remember him as Manimal. Yeah. What's, w- no, w- what's the question? Would you want to own this picture? Uh, would you want to own this picture? Uh, it's only because it's so old. Yeah. Wouldn't you want to have this hanging on your, like your wall and just show up everybody? Hey, I got a picture of Simon McCorkendale on Manimal. Is that the girl we were talking about a second ago? Kim Langford. Yeah. I remember her, but I don't remember who what her character was. Ginger Ward, we said this. I don't remember. I'm saying. Just short term memory issues running the Alexander household. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay, well, no, wait, hold on. I think we need an answer to the, the question. Do you want a copy of that image and you're going to hang it on your wall? There's a reason why I'm asking. Do you want a copy of the picture to hang on your wall suitable for framing? Thanks, but no. Okay, Greg, congratulations. You just got your Christmas gift. <laughs> I saw it said retail me not, so I'm guessing I can purchase a copy of that. Okay, so playing... Awkward Tor- transition! Yeah, yeah, whatever. Playing George Benton, Ben Piazza. I'm getting in before Greg says any relation to Mike Piazza. Oh, that's a shame. I knew you're you're just so predictable. I just wanted to cut you off of the pass. He was in five episodes as Dr. Charles Hampton on Dynasty in 1988. Ben Piazza. Ben Piazza. Ben Piazza. He's a looking for a good pizza in Wisconsin. No longer with us, sadly. Yeah, I want to see a picture. Uh, Ben Piazza, there he is. He's right there. Mm, I don't remember him. He was in the Blues Brothers mask, guilty by suspicion. If I could see a uh, picture of him doing something, I might remember. We'll see. Keith, so how do you like this background I got right here? The gray background? No, this background, the <laughs> Zoom background. It looks like mug shots. That's exact. That's the joke. But oh. what does it say? That, look at it. That looks like a bunch of mug look. Shots. Look. Look at the caption, Keith. The Fulton County Squares. <laughs> hey, scroll down. I want to see who else is in it. Uh, I can't I scroll can. down. I'll give you a hint, okay? Rudy's up top on the... Rudy Giuliani's <laughs> supposed to be Charlie Weaver. I don't see him up there. All I see is. Okay, I'll just put you're the damn gonna, image. You're just gonna, you're just gonna have to trust us on this. Okay, this damn like it, a, I'm gonna have to put the damn image. In. Uh, Baker Street Irregulars. 
<laughs> okay, squares. it's in the chat on Zoom. Just look at the picture and. I see him. I mean, no, I no, uh, hold on. Let me let me open the let me open the chat here. Yes. I think I've seen it on the uh, internet. His mugshot. Yeah, but nobody's ever done the uh, Hollywood Squares version of that. Oh, okay. But should we tell her our master plan of getting Shadow Stevens to do an open for that? Oh yeah, we should. Keith, do you want to know our master plan? Sure. We're gonna try to pay Shadow Stevens a hundred dollars on cameo. To do a version of the Hollywood Squares opening with like all the prisoners that got arrested. Do you think he'll do it for a hundred dollars? Hundred dollars, I'd do it. How badly does he need the money? I would totally do it. <laughs> I'd do shit. I'd do it for free. <laughs> looks good. 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 Oh, it 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 looks good. Looks good. Okay, so let's talk about romance. Ooh. Because Joe isn't just in this for the love of education and the love of sport. He's looking to get him a little sum sum. Oh, he's going to have a Susie Colbert incident 26 years early. No, Greg. Okay, so Linda Harris, the principal of Waverly High, played by Gwen Guilford, who was in six episodes of Chips, eight episodes of A New Kind of Family, and also, and this is her last credited role, Mrs. Winston in 1987's Masters of the Universe. Which oh, had Franklin mo- Jella in it, and I only bring it up because Kiesler will watch anything with Franklin Jella in it. Oh yeah, the Masters of the Universe movie with young Dolph Lundgren. But also, you know who else was in the Masters of the Universe movie? Courtney Cox, I love you. You're so hot on that show. She was, wasn't she? Yeah, I think wasn't she the love interest of Dolph Lundgren in the Masters of the Universe? No, movie? she no, she was the love interest of somebody else. Oh, remember there was there was He Man, and then there was a guy. Oh, a guy. They didn't have the budget to transport everybody to Eternia, so they transported He Man and Skeletor to Earth. Okay, so Canon Films they did not have the money. No, oh, they they ran, you know what? Secret Galaxy on YouTube actually had a thing with the movie. You can go and watch it, and you yeah. can and you can learn for yourself. Canon ran out of money filming this. All right, what else about this crappy ass show do we have to talk about? Okay, there's one more role: a man by the name of Alan Kerner, and he's played by James Staley who retired from acting in 1996, but he was in Picket Fences, Briscoe County Jr., Perfect Strangers, four episodes of Coach, and he was the motel desk clerk in National Lampoon's Vacation. Oh, so he's the guy that tells Clark that they can't accept the check? He's that guy. And then... Clark accidentally bangs his fist onto the table, and then the cash register shoots out, and he steals all the money. That's quality cinema, dude. Harold Ramis, master. 
And then there are a couple more people, but we'll get to that when we talk about the three episodes that did air, and then briefly glance over the six that didn't, because somebody out there knows something. All right, so the first episode is The Pilot, written by series creators William Bickley and Michael Warren, who of course would go on to further success teaming up with Thomas Miller, Eddie Milkus, and Bob Boyette. Wow, so it's the beginning of the step-by-step guys. Full House, Step-by-Step, Family Matters, Perfect Strangers, Mork and Mindy. They did Mork and Mindy. They did Mork and Mindy, yes. Milkus, yeah. Well, not Milkus. Milkus was gone by after, uh, like, Bosom Buddies! They they, all three of them did Bosom Buddies. All three of them did Bosom Buddies, Kiesel. That's all you need to know. All three of them did Bosom Buddies. That's all you need to know. Okay, so the pilot, directed by Bill Persky, want to say he was teamed up with Sam Denoff or something. Joe Namath stars in a comedy series as Joe Casey, the coach of a hapless co-ed basketball team, whose members also seem determined to prove they aren't much as scholars either. Calling Joe Namath's character Joe, that's about as predictable as Tony Danza being on a show and his name being Tony. And then there's episode two, Tate versus Tate, written by Dan Wilcox and sitcom legend Dad Mumford, directed by comedy legend Dick Martin. Why'd they get Dick Martin to direct an episode for this? They needed something to do after they canceled Mind Readers? No, No, Mind Readers was after. This would have been the Cheap Show era. Oh! And we know we love the Cheap Show around here. Teacher Joe Casey is caught in the middle when a student seeks refuge from his father at Joe's house. Yeah, but playing the father. Imagine if this show actually ran for more than three episodes. This would be sort of like if you go back in time and you step on a butterfly and it changes the entire course of history. Imagine if Waverly Wonders lasted more than, again, three, four episodes and uh, this character got brought back. Tate Sr. was played by Conrad Bain. We know who Conrad Bain is. But think about the timeline here. Maud ended in 1978. Different Strokes started in November of 1978. This fits nicely in between the two. So what happens if Waverly Wonders lasts more than three, four episodes, do we ever get Conrad Bain as Mr. Drummond? Nope. Just throwing that out there. It's a very interesting hypothetical because this is not the only episode that Conrad Bain was in. Yeah, there was another episode, but I don't know if it aired out of order or if it aired somewhere else or if they planned on airing it but didn't. I don't know. But we have another recurring character, and that would be Margie, played by Hope Alexander Willis, who was last seen as Fern in Georgia Rule and as Lady Caroline in The Princess Diaries 2 Royal Engagement. With all due respect to her, taking a look at her IMDb, the only show she had any sort of longevity on was 23 episodes of 
the new WKRP in Cincinnati. Not the original. Oh, no. Now, hold on. You know who was on the new WKRP in Cincinnati, Mike? Well, I'm sure we could rattle off a whole bunch of names, but I'm sure there's uh, one Ch- in particular. You Chico, you want to say it? Pawnee Katayan, baby! That's not where I was going with that. Damn it! <laughs> yeah, now I'm disappointed. You had me at Tony Katane, but that wasn't what Greg was going to say. Brent Stewart. Now, could you imagine? You like, mean like this, Greg? He's like squinting a lot? Yeah, like this. I'm French Stewart and I'm squinting. Imagine what would happen. French Stewart, Tawny Katayan, Michael T. Williamson. If that show lasted more than, what, three seasons? The new WKRP in Cincinnati? Two seasons. Two seasons. If it lasted more than two seasons, we'd be, you know, like you said, Mike, stepping on a butterfly. Michael T. Williamson would not have been in Forrest Gump. Fred Stewart would not have been in Third Rock from the Sun. And Tawny Katayan would not be washing the hood of White Snake's car with her behind. No, she did the White Snake videos before she was on the new WKRP in Cincinnati. What would have happened is she would have never married Chuck Finley. Oh. Yeah. But also, I bet you at some point... French Stewart would have been like, hey, everybody, stay the hell away from Gordon Jump's bike shop. Okay, so episode three, Pied Piper. Not much is known about this episode, but it does feature Hope Alexander Willis and Conrad Bain as Margie and Tate Sr. Was Roddy Piper in this episode? No. Oh. And then we have a fourth episode, but it's the third one that actually has a capsule. I think something got preempted in one of those episodes. But Rafkin's Victory Dance is the fourth episode. Joe plays matchmaker in an attempt to find an escort for his dateless female star player. Playing Ginger in that episode, Audrey Landers. Wait, you mean the sister of... Judy Landers, who was on previous entry, Madam's Place? Yes. The equally attractive, buxom sister of Judy Landers. Yeah, but she wasn't as airheaded as her sister. But also, both were on a week of Match Game Hollywood Squares Hour, at least. Separate weeks. And you just have to know, Joe definitely made a pass on her. And from there... NBC took a look at the ratings and said, you know what? No! They're like, we have some awful crap on this network, but we have standards, damn it. Fred Silverman put his foot down. He's like, we have a lot of crap on this network, but you know what? I'm not going to have more crap on this network. I'm not going to stand for it. Well, at least one of the unaired episodes had a capsule because I'm looking at the episode called Joe Checks Out the Librarian and I do have a capsule for that. Oh, hold on. Joe Checks Out the Librarian. Yes. And you know exactly where it's going based on that title. Oh, yeah. Joe's playful overtures to a shy librarian backfire when she falls madly in love with him. And playing the librarian 
the legendary Joan Van Ark. The very legendary, very wonderful Joan Van Ark. Oh, God. I love that Kiesel's basically become a fourth character in this episode. This might make the top 10 episodes between 400 and 600. Now, we've already done five episodes, Greg. That's pretty <laughs> presumptuous. Yeah, well, we'll definitely have the young Dolph Sweet episode in that list. So, Jennifer Salentier Revisited and this are definitely going to be in our lists. Or one of our lists. Which, by the way, the playlists for our 10 favorites between 201 and 400 are now on YouTube. So, Check that out on our YouTube channel. Do you want to blitz through the rest of the episodes, at least uh, giving names and uh, guest stars? Why, yes. Yes, I do. All right, let's do it then. So there is an episode called The Kiss. I don't know if that has a direct relationship to the librarian episode we just talked about. I do have a capsule for that episode. Really? Courtesy, okay. of, the, courtesy of the classic TV archive. Joe's job is in jeopardy when his alma mater notifies him that he may never legally have graduated. Susan? Uh-oh. Uh-oh. And you see, when I heard the title, The Kiss, I thought that just had to do with uh, Joe Namath trying to hit on Susie Colbert. No, that's later. Episode 7 is called Joe Goes to Press. I think we could probably yeah. guess what that's about. Uh-huh. Enraged by a local sports writer's criticism of his basketball team, Joe lets Rafkin ghostwrite a letter to the editor for him. Yeah, that seems like something he'd do. I didn't know Manish Mehta was writing about high school sports in Wisconsin in 1977. Damn! Damn! <laughs> Episode 8 is called The Revolution. No guest stars of note there. And also no capsule. And uh, the ninth episode is called Mock Marriage. Oh, oh, this doesn't sound very good. Maybe we should be really glad only three or four episodes of this aired because, yeah, Mock Marriage and number nine, that doesn't sound too terribly good to me. Yeah, and I'll tell you something else because I've got the numbers right here. 1978-1979, there were... 114 shows that aired in the season on all three networks. Guess where the Waverly Wonders ended up? 96. Mike, do you want to take a guess? Oh, in the hundreds. Three digits. It was tied for 101st with Who's Watching the Kids? Future entry. Lucan, no idea what that is, making it, previous entry, those three. I'll take it a step further. I have the ratings for two weeks. We're looking at the last week of September of 1978, and then the first full week in October of 1978. There were 67 shows that first week, talking about the end of September of 1978. Out of 67, do you want to take a guess where it placed? 64th? 61st? 64th was the previously mentioned Who's Watching the Kids. 61st was Carter Country. Right between. 
Tied for 62nd, Waverly Wonders and American Girls. And just rounding up the bottom shows, uh, after Who's Watching the Kids, you had Paper Chase. Because remember, before it was on Showtime, it was on broadcast television. And then something called WEB, I don't know what that is, and Apple Pie. Yeah, uh, WEB is actually web. It's a TV show about television. Who'd watch that? Let's go to that first week of October of 78. 62 shows. Where to place? 59. 59th. Beating Salute to American Imagination and Who's Watching the Kids and the aforementioned web. So I'm looking at the schedule now. Oh, the schedule's not good. The Waverly Wonders aired Fridays at 8, opposite Donnie and Marie and the New Adventures of Wonder Woman. Oh, no, you're not beating Donnie and Marie. You're definitely not beating Linda Carter. I mean, just look at her. If you had the choice between her and Joe Namath, you'd just go with Linda Carter. Yeah, she had better legs. He did those pantyhose commercials. Just yes, saying. We, we all know he did those. Yeah, that's, I, know, that's I know you know that. But I that's don't know the joke. People listening know that. Yeah. Okay. But I also want to add the ratings that I gave you for that first week in October. That was published on October 11th of 1978. The next day, published on October 12th of 1978, Joe Namath has been thrown for a loss in his first try as TV stardom. NBC said it has canceled his new Waverly Wonders comedy. And in the same press release, NBC said the series will be replaced starting November 3rd by, listen to this, because we referred to this earlier, different strokes. There is no mention about uh, Conrad Bain being in Waverly Wonders, but what replaced Waverly Wonders? The thing that, I don't want to say made Conrad Bain's career, it, it did make his career because he was not a primary cast member on Maud. Because if you remember, he was, I believe, Rue McClanahan's husband. But now he's got his own show. Well, him and Gary Coleman and Todd Bridges. But yeah, different strokes replaced Waverly Wonders. And the rest is history. Turns out to be the lone bright spot on NBC Friday schedule in 1978, judging by what I'm looking at. Because I want to say we have the, if not the last season, but the next to the last season of The Rockford Files. And then we have previous entries. Hello, Larry, Brothers and Sisters, and Turnabout. And future entry, Sweepstakes. And who's watching the kids? Would have been the second to last season of Rockford Files because that ended in eighty. So the intro and a couple of promos for The Waverly Wonders can be found online, on YouTube, obviously. Additional promos and materials are being held by the Mississippi State University Archives, including promos featuring Dean Martin and another notable football player turned actor. Oh, right. The rest of the series is considered lost media. Don't cry for anybody on the Waverly Wonders. Joe Namath 
had himself a fruitful post-football career. If you remember the film Chattanooga Choo Choo, he was one of the leads playing Newt Newton. But also, here in New York, I remembered him fondly when I was a kid for doing those ads for Nobody Beats the Wiz. All right, let's talk technology. This is not what you take from a sandwich when you're hungry. Come to the new computer center at Nobody Beats the Wiz and learn all about megabytes, hard drives, and floppy disks. Check out our 32-page Focus 91 circular to find the computer you want. Or shop by phone, 1-800-253-0186. At Nobody Beats the Wiz, the future is now. I miss Nobody Beats the Wiz. And of course, Kim Lankford would make the move out to Knott's Landing. And Gwen Guilford, she would have a career as a lovely lady, even though she would not spend the rest of her life with Joe Casey. And, you know, this ultimately just became just a thing on TV. Actually, it was a thing in Joe Namath's biography if you look on pages 387 to 388. Oh, so it was worth like two pages to talk about and it was like, that's it. Probably one of those things where the paragraph starts on one page and ends on the other. And the thing about this show, the show cost $200,000 to make. $200,000 in 1978 is almost a million dollars today. NBC was really trying, y'all. Well, that's going to do it for this episode, this fine Monday. Remember, you can always go to our website over at itwasathingontv.com where you can listen to the 404 episodes that preceded this one. We've got all sorts of great bonuses, including mini-sodes, live shows, instant reactions, extended plays, remasters, the whole works. And remember, we're on all social media, including Instagram, Threads, Mastodon, at It Was A Thing On TV, except for Facebook, where you gotta go to It Was A Thing On TV podcast. Remember to subscribe to the podcast wherever fine podcasts can be streamed. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, TuneIn Radio, iHeartRadio, Audible, you name it, we're there. And don't forget, we are also on YouTube where you can like and subscribe to our channel. And don't forget to hit the notification bell to be informed on all future uploads on the channel, including what's coming up on the podcast next time. What started as a pitch for an Americanized version of an anime that was popular in 1986 ended up turning into a cult classic and the beginning of a fruitful career for one budding Hollywood screenwriter. And all I can say is, space is no place for two Earth kids to have a good time. But you'll find out all about that in our next episode of It Was a Thing on TV. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you with that episode on Thursday. Wow. Joe Namath made a couple of movies. I, of course, saw them. 
because I love Joe Namath as a player. His movies were atrocious. Okay, I mean, there's no other word for it. The only good thing about the movie was Anne Margaret was in the one C.C. Ryder. That's the only thing that was good about it was Anne Margaret was in it. Joe was awful in the movie, absolutely awful. Elvis Presley, okay, he was De Niro compared to Namath. Very few athletes can act. There are a couple. I'll tell you who's not bad in the movies, and I, I don't know if we call him an athlete, though. I guess we do. Is the Rock an athlete? I guess he. I mean, he's he's a character, but he's okay. He's become big. No, he's a pretty good actor. He's actually okay. I mean, he's actually he's decent. It's touchy, but OJ was good in the Naked Gun movies. Dick Butkus wasn't a bad actor. Wasn't terrible. I want to thank you very, very much for inviting me into your homes for the last fifty years. I am deeply grateful. And please remember, help control the pet population. Have your pets spayed or neutered. Goodbye, everybody. Rest in peace to the legendary Bob Barker.